This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 445 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Uncle Jimmy's Brand Products and Fairfield Inn North in Lexington, Kentucky. This week, Coach Jen and I learn about the Interscholastic Equestrian Association, affectionately known as the IEA, as we chat with Executive Director Roxanne Durant. Plus, I review the Ovation Blizzard Paddock Boot, say that five times fast, (laughs) in this week's Tack and Habit. And Jen and I are going to have a little chat about PVC jumps, plastic jumps, PVC good or bad. Listen in. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hail hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop cause it's time again for stable school. Stable school. Stable school. Stable school. This is Coach Jen. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. And I'm so happy to have my old friend back on the air with me. Woohoo! Who knows? You know, we say that we're going to chat for a few minutes before we actually get into the meat of the show. So Jen and I are like, well, what are we going to chat about? So we're like, I don't know. (laughs) How to comb your horse's mane. We can spend a half an hour on that. (laughs) We can spend days on this stuff. Really, there's nobody I know who I could talk any any minutia of the horse world with for hours and hours and hours besides Jen. We're so non-productive. We just gab. Well, all right. So I have to take one minute just to talk about horses and the weather. Okay. First of all, it is winter up here in the Northeast, but it's a, it's been a pretty mild winter despite the fact that we got 14 inches of snow the other day. Okay. And I, well, so, I saw Brody's, um, I, I saw Brody's photo album on your, on the Facebook this morning. It was so adorable. <laughs> yes. He puts on his cute face when he gets up to naughty things, but I, it's been really, really warm here for a new England winter. And so the grass underneath the snow is really kind of green. And my poor horses have just been hanging their heads over the fences with their tongues hanging out, drooling for green grass. Now, mind you, they're both, you know, at least a hundred pounds overweight because (laughs) I'm feeding a super high quality hay. And they're like, they're like, you know, the, the the Highland ponies, they get fat (laughs) on air. Yeah. I gotta say, um, Brody, bro, he did look a little round and yeah, soft and fuzzy like a big teddy bear. He, we both, the same thing happens to our bodies in the winter, Brody and me. Yeah. <laughs> we get soft and fuzzy and a little lazy. Yeah. So we're looking forward to spring to get back in our work program. How about you and Nigel? Uh, Nigel and I have been enjoying um, our mild winter here in Ocala, Florida. <laughs> 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 Did you hear the evil in her laugh, everybody? <laughs> Listen to it. We, uh, what did we do recently? We did, 
Oh, I dragged Nigel out to the Florida Horse Park uh, last weekend, weekend before. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the Florida Horse Park is a large, open-to-the-public agricultural park, much like the Kentucky Horse Park is. The difference here is at the Florida Horse Park, there is a public trail that goes okay. straight through it. So you can literally go out and ride on all 500 acres anytime you want to. Just, you know, it's a free-for-all. So wow. I took him out there knowing that they were having a horse show so because he needs to get out and be around busyness. Yeah. Is this the kind of thing you have to truck over to or can you hack there? No, it's about a 20-minute drive. Okay. It's real easy to get to. Um, so we smooshed him into the horse trailer and dragged him over there. And <laughs> I hopped up on him and took him a ride around. And we had a great time. And he he was really good. He's, he's such a funny character. I've never had a horse that's got this particular personality quirk. He's he's not what I would call barn sour. He's a little bit buddy sour in that if you take Scooter away, he screams. Okay. But he, he's got a thing for being alone, about being alone. As long as he can see another horse, he doesn't care what other horse it is, as long as it's another horse. Okay. He's, he's fine. But if he's out where he can't see any other horses at all, he really, he really amps up the uh, flight reflex. Uh. It's like, oh, I think I need to get out of here. Uh, so we're kind of working on that reflex of his where he feels really, really insecure if he can't see other horses. If the other horses are a football field away, he's pretty good. But once they get further than that and he really can't see them, he, he can really feel a change in his in his body and his yeah, he heart starts to up. go. And, and he mm. tenses up and everything becomes scary because, of course, he's thinking about running home or running towards the other horses. He's not sure which. And it's very unique because I've had barn sour horses and I've had herd sour horses and I've had lots of horses who could care less. Yeah. But he's got a kind of an interesting and unique combination and it's have, it's been interesting working our way through it. So when we went out to the horse park, we rode around the showgrounds area for about a half an hour where we just wandered about between the warm up areas and hung out and watched some dressage tests and things like that. He thought that was my So there were horse. other horses around? Lots, about 300 other horses. It was a... Great big um, dressage schooling show. Oh, 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 sorry. I, yep, yeah. okay. So there were okay. hundreds and hundreds of other horses. And then there were trail riders who would just come and go. And they were having, get this, lure coursing on the other side of the polo field. Where What kind of lure coursing? Lure coursing is where they take sight hounds, like greyhounds and whippets yeah. and Rhodesian ridbacks, and they lay out a course using a piece of fine twine with plastic bags tied to it. And it yep. runs about a 200-meter course, usually in a big old loop of some sort. And they attach it to a motor so that those little plastic bags fly along the ground about six, about six inches above the ground at about 28 miles an hour. And this is going on next to a dressage show? And this is going on next to uh, a bunch of horses. Yeah. So who, needless to who, say, there was who nobody. Who was responsible for scheduling? Yeah. Nobody got anywhere near the polo field, which was where it was happening, including me. <laughs> I didn't either. Didn't have any desire to go there. Now, uh, with Beaker, I could have strolled through and wrapped the string around his legs and he wouldn't have cared. But yeah. Nigel's not quite that steady on his uh, emotions just yet. So we what did Nigel that. do before you got him? Uh, before what was his job? To, to the best of our knowledge, he never raced. He doesn't have any record on his papers. So he's all thoroughbred. He's all thoroughbred. He did get a tattoo. So I'm assuming okay. he went into training at some point. They don't usually tattoo them unless they're going to put him into training. Okay. Um, so that might have happened. I actually have the name and phone number of his original breeder, and I've been get, meaning to call her up and say, hey, what's going on? Um, she she has a number of horses that have gone from 
racing venues into sport horse venues that I know about. Yeah. Um, so I've always wanted to uh, call her and say, hey, what was the deal with him? Why didn't he ever start? As if it's not obvious. He's a giant tank. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's just not built for it. You know, sweetheart yeah. and all. But, but yeah. uh, we, we wandered around. We wandered around there. And then we moved away from the, the crew and went out towards the cross-country course, which is sort of at the opposite end of the facility. It's just big and open, very few trees. And we managed to get close to the water jump and do some laps around it. Uh, we did not attempt to go into the water jump yet. I thought we'd take it one small step at a time because once I went down that road, I'd have to finish it, right? Sure, sure, yeah. Yep. We, you know, we'd already been riding for about 45 minutes. And lucky for me, uh, our guest wrangler, Denise, came along with some of her trail riding pals. And Perfect. I said, hey, can you help me school this horse? And they have one section, where, you know, shed row barns like they have at fairgrounds. Mm-hmm. You can ride right through them. Well, you could ride right through the shed row barn, but he was terrified of all of the banners hanging on the stalls. Just oh, terrified. wow. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. So I said, can you guys walk through there first so we can follow you? And lo and behold, of course, he had he never met any of these horses before, but he didn't care. If you're going, right. I'm going. So we strolled back and forth through that. So that was kind of cool. Now, when he does finally go through, so if he's got another horse to follow or he has other horses to see, does he totally relax or does he just tolerate the circumstances? He becomes more, he's less likely to, when I say you will go and they have already gone, he goes, okay, they did. You know, like okay. we, we will get to the entrance of the barn and those other horses had walked through the barn. He would still stop. But when I said, yes, you must go through the barn, rather than going, oh my God, I need to have a meltdown. He would say, okay, because they went. Yeah. Now it didn't help that the, the barn had a little aisleway going through it where we had to ride the horses covered with. Uh, sharp stone. I mean, really sharp stone. And of course, oh. he doesn't want to walk on that. But that's an excuse in my book, you know. But we got yeah. back and forth through it, and I'm going. We're just take kind of taking it little steps at a time. Um, and the reason I'm being so cautious is when I first got him, when he come across something that was scary, like tiny horses and minis and ponies, he would just lose his little marbles. And you know, we were doing a 360 before I could blink my eyes. Oh, that's the worst. The spinners, yeah. man. The spinner, and he didn't stop to think. He just was out of there. And I want to yeah. teach him that, you know, you don't need to be out of there. You you can stop and think about it. And we Does he give you a flick of an ear or a tense muscle and so you have even a millisecond to prepare? He does now. When I first yeah. got him, he didn't. He'd be walking along happy as a clam and then ding. Mm-hmm. Um, but now he does. He he, and now he's he's more likely to take a take a moment. But he, I have to be careful. Unlike Beaker. Beaker would stop and investigate something with his eyes and his ears and his nose. And he could stand there for three and a half minutes. Like um, those <laughs> bouncy houses. People put bouncy houses in their yards for parties. Yeah. The first time we came across a bouncy house, which was full of children, we had to stop and think about that. He was the kind of horse that he would literally stop there and he'd just mull it over in his little brain. And then when he was ready, he'd walk past it just as quiet as it could be. Oh, there was, there was no change. It was just very unique that way. Whereas... Nigel, if you let him stand there and think about it too long, he talks himself into being scared. You know how that is? Yeah. Yeah, I have to move his feet a little bit. But now I can move his feet and he doesn't freak out because he thinks as soon as I say move my feet, move your feet, we're going to have to move towards the scary object. Now, this is a consistent kind of reaction and behavior. It's not sort of weather dependent or no. day dependent. No. It's consistent. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He, gets, he gets a little... He goes from being a plug to being mildly energetic with the weather. That's, yeah. He's, he's oh, okay. There. Um, yeah, if, when the weather gets chilly and breezy and stuff, he'll, he'll like, wake up. But he mm. won't, um, 
You know, he doesn't get silly. Bernie gets a little, he, all kinds of interesting behaviors come out when the weather changes. And that could be even just from a cloudy day to a sunny day to a freezing cold day. It, it's really interesting how he, his moods change, mm-hmm. um, depending on the weather, yeah. but he's, he's readable now. Yeah. So you kind of know what That's horse coming. you're taking out of the barn on any given day. Um, but you know, it's funny because this, this order, this kind of all ties in together. We're, we're going to be talking to the executive director of the IEA today. And my daughter, Grace has been riding a lot, um, in preparation for the upcoming IEA regionals that she has qualified for. This is her first real, uh, equestrian competitive event where she's worked hard for something and then has achieved an opportunity to move up, you know, um, in, in the levels. And, um, she was up riding, uh, as little cute as the Dickens little quarter horse. And his name is blue and he's about five, six years old. He's been a great horse, just, you know, fairly green, but green compared to like advanced level horses. He's, mm-hmm. he, he's just really has a lot of natural talent, you know? Anyway, he had decided that um, there were one or two things in the indoor arena the other day that he was going to be really scared of things, which he had never previously been scared of. And so Grace was up there hacking. I was not with her, but apparently she ended up riding blue through this little rodeo. And it was the first time she had ever actually had that experience. Uh Oh <laughs> yeah. And she was a little back. So she stayed on, she was a little back sore, but you know, she's describing what he was doing to me. And um, the thought process, how she talked herself through each of his little bucks and bolts and shies and, and box, all those little things. Um, but she was saying, you know, mom, I think it has to do with the fact that he, it snowed a foot the day before and he didn't get out. Well, that, that does make a difference. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it was so cute though, that she was putting two and two together and being really considerate of his behaviors. And she never once said he was bad or he was naughty. Mm -hmm. She just said, he's doing these things. And I was trying to figure out why he was doing them and what I could do to help him. And my little heart just kind of was swelling up out of my chest, you know, her heart grew two sizes that day. It sure did. (laughs) It sure did. But I think that it's going to be a lot of fun Um, I think we can soon bring Grace into these conversations because she said, you know, mom, I really like setting a goal with my horse and then accomplishing that. She's like, and that could be anything from, um, you know, the other day she was riding a horse who is a little bit fast, not necessarily forward, but fast. And she's a, she's a big mare. She's a big beefy mare who likes to go fast. And Grace has to do a lot of work with no stirrups in order to prepare for her IEA competition. And she said, I had to work hard to slow her down enough that I could comfortably sit the trot, sit the trot without stirrups, do all of this in in the saddle work that I needed to do. But at 14 years old, she really spent a lot of time thinking about how to help the horse become the kind of ride that she needed in order to prepare for her upcoming event. I thought that was just phenomenal. Cool. Cool. Right? Yeah. Uh, I know. So I'm having this conversation in the truck with my kid on the ride home. Like, I wanted my kid to like horses, but oh my God, we can overanalyze stuff together. (laughs) You can be best buddies again. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. 
so speaking of IEA, we're going to bring our first guest, our only guest of the week on coming up, and that is Roxanne Durant. She is a co-founder and the executive director of the Interscholastic Equestrian Association, the IEA, of which we were just talking about Grace participating in. And um, I think it'll be a lot of fun to pick her brain and find out more about this, what I think is a really great program uh, nationwide. Fairfield Inn and Suites North by Marriott Lexington is the ideal hotel for you as they are the closest hotel to the Kentucky Horse Park. They have the most spacious guest rooms and suites in the area, and they're only four miles from downtown Lexington. Fairfield Inn and Suites North offers complimentary breakfast, free Wi-Fi throughout the hotel, free parking, a business center, an indoor swimming pool and jacuzzi, an outdoor patio with grill, laundry facilities, and much more. You get hungry, Cracker Barrel is located right next door, and there are four other dining options available within walking distance for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Of course, Lexington is known for the Kentucky Horse Park, University of Kentucky, Keeneland, and the historical Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Enjoy a terrific hotel experience while you're touring Lexington. There's no denying that the Lexington North Fairfield Inn & Suites is the best value in town and will meet all your hospitality needs. Just Google Fairfield in North Lexington and make your reservations today. Up next, we have Roxanne Durant of the Interscholastic Equestrian Association. You do have to do some mouth gymnastics to say that. That's why we usually call it the IEA, which my daughter Grace has just started riding in, and I love it. And that's why I wanted to pick her, pick Roxanne's brain. The, the goal of the IEA is to introduce students, middle school and high school students, in both private and public schools, to equestrian sports. And to provide an infrastructure to equestrian sport that is standardized. So there's credibility, there's standardization, there's support. And, uh, and there's, it, it actually becomes like a feeder program into the college level, um, the IHSA, which is the Intercollegiate Horse Shows Association. Um, so there really is, it becomes this, this path, this paved path for kids to become introduced to horses, to compete in equestrian sports, and then to really keep their, their academic lives fulfilled with equestrian sport as long as they possibly can. So we're going to have Roxanne on right now, and uh, we're going to talk to her more about this program. Welcome to the Stable Scoop Radio Show. We're happy to have you. Great. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So I'm going to make a confession. Uh, the reason that I'm interested in having you on the show is because my daughter rides in the IEA, and I absolutely love Yay. the program for her. And it's, you know, what at first I thought was um, a small little nonprofit organization helping, you know, high school kids out has really, um, I've come to know that it's, it's a much bigger, way more supportive. I'm going to call it an institution now for (laughs) American, (laughs) young American equestrians. Tell us about the IEA and why it got started. Yeah. So it is, um, the Interscholastic Equestrian Association is the IEA. And we started, this is our 15th anniversary, so we started officially 15 years ago. Um, and the idea, just general idea was, first of all, to give students more recognition and more credit for, you know, being recognized as the athletes they are if they're into horseback riding. They, they, I, I had this chip on my shoulder from 
being a high school student that rode horses at a school that actually had a program, but we didn't really get much recognition. We didn't get our picture in the yearbook as a team. We didn't get to stand up in assembly and talk about, you know, here's what I won over the weekend and all the other teams were doing that. And um, I always said, I I just carried that with me for a while. So I was always looking for any opportunity that we could to give our riding students more recognition. And um, so, so that idea together with trying to make riding more accessible and trying to make students feel more comfortable feeding into collegiate programs. So the collegiate programs have great success and they're all in a draw-based format. So you don't have to take a horse to school with you. You draw a horse's name out of a hat and you can ride um, and compete. So that format, I I was working at the time at a a high school that had a fabulous riding program um, here in the Cleveland, Ohio area. And that school had made a real commitment to students in their riding. And we said, you know, the piece we're missing there is the students are really good at riding their own horses or a horse they take a lesson on all the time, but they don't, they're not comfortable with the collegiate format of just getting on any horse in the barn, you know, and feeling like they could ride it. So we felt like there was, it was intimidating for students to go into those collegiate programs without experience. So, um, so the idea of let's, let's be a better college prep program by teaching them really how to ride in that format. Then it also, we gain accessibility because it cuts down on the cost of riding and showing horses. If we can all share our, our equine resources, um, then more students can participate and hopefully the sport will continue to grow and thrive as opposed to becoming so elite that people can't get involved. So right. kind of all those things like, like help with the collegiate step, help make it more accessible um, and, and keep the industry growing from the bottom up and also um, to give kids more recognition and more opportunities. Now you started with somewhere around 200 participants and you're up to well over 12,000 at this point. Are you surprised at how widely accepted the, the, the group has become? And I mean, it's yeah. everywhere now. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of those like, oh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. Like when you're talking about it, it's making um, competitive equestrian sports accessible to so many more kids. Um, you would think, well, of course, like ha- ha- who wouldn't want to have this program? Right, uh, right. But you know, and clearly the numbers show that it's it is doing as good a job as you hoped it would. H- have there been challenges in getting this thing rolled out throughout the country? Oh, definitely, definitely, and we are. So we're officially at this year, um, 13,500 members. And I still, when I say that, I think I'm talking about something else. Like, wow, this is, this is the same IEA we started with, you know, a few hundred kids. And um, so it's, it's amazing when I, when I think of the, the bulk of the numbers and, and all the people that it takes to keep things going. You know, staff members, we have like it's just a phenomenal staff of people that are so dedicated and passionate about this organization. And, and that's fun. And our, our dedicated board members and dedicated volunteers, our regional presidents at every level, and then, you know, taking it on down to the coaches that are, you know, it's a lot of work to be involved with an IEA team and going to horse shows and everything. And the parents that are taking their kids and everything, it just takes, you know, we think about those that many members and how many people that's touching and how many people it takes to make this all work on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's overwhelming to think about. Um, so, you know, one thing is, is again, just the bulk of people that it takes to make all this happen, which is, that has just been a really positive thing. Like just so many people with such great attitude and and so much desire to help and make all this work for, and realize that what it's giving back to the equine community. 
And then um, probably the, the most challenging piece is, is just resources. You know, we're constantly trying to find more places to host horse shows, more places, more venues that are, you know, that can host that many parents to sit and watch, um, having good horses to ride. And so we're, we're hoping that the next thing we're going to see really as a byproduct of this growth in IEA is, is hopefully helping the equine industry find those more and more of these secondary homes for horses, maybe that have been a competitive, you know, top level show horse, can't do that anymore. They can step down and be a, a good IEA show horse. So, and give those animals new careers and they can step on down from the two six down to the two foot down to the crossrail level, or they can step, you know, from a, from an upper level, you know, from the Western side, step from an upper level reigning horse down to more of a lesson horse reigning horse. And, and think, so I, I think things like that, that are, are challenges right now with this many kids needing horses to ride and I, yay, I think the, the next thing that, that we'll see that will be a positive outcome actually is seeing more and more opportunities of, of rehoming horses and finding new places, you know, to where the horses can fit into our program out of other programs. So I think that's, that's, a really cool trend that we're starting to see. So you're ending up with benefits for horses and riders. It's, it's kind of an added benefit. Now, when you, when you got this whole thing started years ago, did it ever occur to you that the horse benefit aspect of it would occur? Or was that a a pleasant surprise? Oh, definitely a pleasant surprise. And um, hopefully it's a thing, you know, one thing that, that has been a conscious piece is, that we're trying to do our part to help the industry in general. And so it has definitely been part of the vision that we would be helping the industry if we can get more students and more families involved with riding just because of its accessibility, then we're going to have more people that go on and do more in the industry that continue to ride through college and after college and as adults and and then bring their kids up into the sport and, and things like that. So if we're not growing, you know, sort of thinking of that pyramid vision, if we're not growing the base of the pyramid where everybody starts, then the pyramid gets pretty small very quickly. Right. But if we keep growing the base, then it at the strength of the industry and the health of the industry is good for everyone. And so, um, so I didn't, we didn't specifically think about the horse piece, but I think a natural outcome of that is, is really Proving, I, I hope that the IEA proves to be a, a very big, helpful part of rehoming horses and and rehabilitating horses and and teaching young horsemen as teaching we, on, and and horses who may have otherwise had no more career left. It's it's extending their useful years, which, as we know, always keeps horses in safer places if they've got a career, if they've got a, the ability right, to do a job. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah, I feel like that too. I, Currently, the what divisions or disciplines does the IEA offer right now? Yes, yeah, so we offer hunt seat. Our main focus right now is in hunt seat and in western. In the hunt seat programs, we offer flat classes and over fences classes. It's broken down over four ability levels: so beginner, novice, intermediate, and open. At the beginner level, it's flat only, just walk, trot, canter. We do expect all of the riders who participate in IEA to be able to at least canter. Um, so walk track canter is a beginner level and then all the way up to the open level of jumping, which is the most advanced level is over two foot six jumps, which sounds pretty easy. But when you're getting on a horse that you've never ridden before, exactly. you're going to jump around a course of jumps. <laughs> it's not as easy as it sounds. Not so, as easy depending as it on sounds. the horse too. So, right. um, and then, and then the Western, we offer uh, Western competitions. And in the Western, we offer reining and horsemanship. 
And um, same thing, broken into four ability levels. And, and both the Hunty and the Western are, are direct replications of what you would see in collegiate riding, either through um, the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association, the IHSA, which is what we're most directly modeled after, or through NCEA um, college program. So, so we're, we're really trying to feed directly into the college program. Um, we also, this year, have added um, a couple of other sort of sidebar programs. Um, as far as riding, we are doing a pilot program in dressage. We've had a lot of requests for folks oh, that are involved have. in dressage. Awesome. Yeah. So we're doing that. And, um, and that, you know, hopefully we'll be feeding directly to the Intercollegiate Dressage Association, the IDA. So they've been very helpful in, in supporting our programs and helping us learn more about dressage and how to fit, you know, our mold, sort of put together dressage and IEA and make something that would work for both. So we're trying those out in a couple areas of the country this year. We'll have continuing a pilot program next year. And if all that continues going really well, then we should be rolling that out as a, a third uh, discipline that we'd be offering uh two years from now. So um, ooh, then, well, I'm raising my hand so oh, you can bring it to I New England. <laughs> pick me, pick me. Pick me, pick me. Um, so explain that. Uh, so the country is broken up into different zones. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one through 10, I believe. And um, I always forget. I never, <laughs> I have this sort of ethnocentric approach to it. I always think we're in zone one because we're in the Northeast. Um, but in fact, I do. I think we are in zone one. Um, where, how do the zones work and, and how do kids actually, what does the competitive structure look like from, let's say, uh, you know, from a, an individual team up through the national levels? Right, right. So, yeah, we are broken into zones across the country. And that original map of where the zones are just came from um, the USHJ, the United States Hunter Jumper Association, and where they had drawn their lines for the Hunter Jumper horses. So um, we tend to have the bulk of our members are more along the East Coast. Um, and then we have a, a you know, grouping over in California. But the fun thing, in the last two years, we're starting to finally see spread across the central U.S. And, and getting into areas where we haven't been before. We've got teams in Nevada now. We've got teams in, um, you know, like Wisconsin area. We've got, you know, we're starting to finally get across. And, and Texas and Oklahoma are filling in. So we are seeing now, you know, we've been really big and busy across the East Coast, but we are finally getting the growth across the middle of the country now. So that's been really fun to see. Um, the, the main structure is that the students participate and they're allowed to participate in five regular horse show competitions. And we have about 800 horse shows across the country. So there's wow. you know, lots of places to, to get in and do a horse show. But we Wait, let's just say that number water. again. 800. 800. Yes. Yeah. God I bless you. Yeah, I know. I think about that. They're like, oh, God, that freaks me out to say that. Even. Um, so we, each rider is allowed as an individual to participate in five horses because we don't want to make it about point chasing like the person who can go to the most, most horses would win. We yeah. try to make it, you know, level the playing field. You do five shows. And then within those five shows, if you reach a basic number of, um, and it depends on where you live, 15 or 18, then you would qualify as an individual for some postseason competition. And we actually have kind of two charts going, two, two tracks for competing in postseason. One is as an individual and then the other as a member of your team. So your team itself um, accumulates points throughout the season and 
they can move on to postseason competitions when they reach the minimum number of points, uh, or as an individual, you can. So basically, you would hit that that basic mark, and once you hit that mark, you qualify for regionals, which is the first step in the postseason. Um, regional finals, then the the top riders, and and usually, it, and again, this depends on where you are in the country. But each zone is broken into anywhere from three to twelve regions, depending on how many members they have. And from each region, a percentage will move on to zone finals, which is the next step in postseason. And then from zone finals, the top anywhere from one to four, depending on where you live, um, the top riders in each zone will move on to our national finals. And we have separate finals for hunt seat and for Western. So those tracks of regular show region zone finals is happening separately for Western and for hunt seat. Um, hunt seat finals this year is in Lexington, Virginia at the Virginia horse park there. And, um, the finals for Western this year are, and, and let's see, hunt seat finals are at the end of April. Uh, Western finals are at the end of June and they will be at part of the NRHA National Riding Horse Association Derby, which is in Oklahoma city. And that's at the end of June. Woo. So this kind of all ties back to what you said about just the number of resources and people involved in keeping this, this very big machine running as smoothly as it can. Yes. Yeah. And we really, we are so dependent on partnerships with other organizations. And again, this to me, when I look at the whole picture, it feeds back to us trying to be part of the horse community and part of a, you know, the whole, the whole country of horsemen. And, you know, we've got to connect to each other to keep the industry alive. So it's very important to us, you know, partnerships with like um, Hunter Jumper Association, the United States Equestrian Federation, the National Riding Horse Association, Quarter Horse Association. You know, we have, they've all. What do those look like? Those, what is, what does it mean to be like affiliated with or to partner with them? How do you guys work together? It's it's very different with each organization, but, you know, even talking about like the, this pilot program in dressage, they've, the folks in the, in the IDA and then the United States Dressage Federation, they have all been so helpful to us in saying, yes, this, this would help feed our programs. We're going to help you get this off the ground. So helping us come up with rules and regulations and helping us come up with contacts and, and what magazines do these people read so we can advertise in them and those kind of things. Um, what podcasts uh, another, do they listen to? <gasps> yeah, <We know>. yeah. <laughs> what are they <laughs> listening to? So, um, yeah, so things like that help us get things going and off the ground and, and promotional things, giving donating prizes. Um, many of the organizations, uh, like the NRHA, have hosted our national finals for the Western for many a couple years now, probably six years, I think. And um, and they also donate prizes to the to the event. Um, the Hunter Jumper Association has partnered with us in the last year on a new clinic series that we're doing. That's a more of an education based program. Um, so it's just it's just really, and I think that's really fun. And they're, they're our kids are learning more about those organizations through these partnerships, and and hopefully getting involved in more than just IEA. You know, we want IEA to be their starting point, and and hopefully through that starting point they find other avenues that maybe they wouldn't have known about had they not started with us. Well, I kind of, I mean, I kind of want to get involved. <laughs> Did I just say that out loud? How is it, um, are, are you at all, or is there a future in connecting with the actual area high schools and sort of buddying up with their, um, athletic programs? Like I would, yeah, I would have loved to said, I'm on, you know, the Suffern High School equestrian right. team. Um, 
what do you see any kind of marriage between those two things? That's in, you know, when we look at the biggest of our, you know, big broad picture plans, that is definitely in there. And actually that was one of the major starting points. Um, Really, when we first started IEA, we wanted the teams to all have some kind of school affiliation, and um, and and basically we had a form that the teams would would fill out, and they had to take it to a school, you know, some some administrator at their school that would sign off and say, "Yes, I know you are creating a team." Um, and I think probably we would have accepted the janitor's signature. You know, it was really not a big deal to us. We just wanted somebody at the school to realize this was happening. And you would believe, you know, this was 15 years ago, the pushback we got from the school saying, oh, we can't sign a form that says anything about horses on it because horses are a liability. Somebody might get hurt. So, um, you know, and it's like, well, what about, well, look what's happening on the football field there. That looks yeah. like people are getting hurt too, but. Um, so anyway, uh, we had, we've had a lot of pushback from the schools. Um, but so we decided for the IEA purposes, we thought we'd go in through the back door. It wasn't working to go in the front door. So we decided to go in through the back door and, and we're starting to see this coming around now. If, if our students are getting into colleges that they wouldn't get into otherwise, and they're getting scholarships and, and money to ride that they wouldn't get otherwise. Now the school administrators see the value in why these kids are getting involved in the riding program, you know, in addition to what they're getting as an athlete, they're also getting, you know, the school wants to see how, how is it helping them connect to the next step of getting into colleges. So as the schools are beginning to see this as a bonus for some of their kids moving on to college programs, they're getting more and more interested and at least starting to recognize their kids. You know, I've had a lot of schools that now at least will recognize students, you know, at their spring athletic awards banquet. Um, or, or recognize them in the school newspaper or in the, in the annual and things like that. So I think as those, you know, little steps begin to grow, um, that we will see more schools. And, and we have seen in some certain areas of the country, we do see schools being more supportive down in Zen 4, like in the Georgia area, um, in like Columbus, Ohio area, there's certain pockets where some of the schools have been very supportive. Um, but I think, you know, as an organization, we are constantly looking at what's something else we can do to try to leverage those schools to be more involved. So we've got a few ideas that, um, you'll see coming out next year, actually, that, uh, they're top secret at the moment, but there are a few (laughs) ideas coming up for next year that, that we think will be, you know, some fun things to help leverage the schools to get more involved and more supportive of those students that are riding. Excellent. Well, we'll be keeping an eye out for all this stuff as Mm -hmm. it develops. Tell our listeners where they can find out more about the IEA program and how they can perhaps get their kids or themselves um, and on a team. Yes. Yes. So to get involved, um, everything is on our website. We have a really great website and the web address is uh, rideiea.org. So R-I-D-E-I-E-A.org, rideiea.org. And um, all the information is there on the website. Um, so membership form. Now, right now, the one thing that the one little trick in IEA is we do our membership season when you can join is, um, so the, we're towards the end of the season. Now we're getting into the postseason finals and stuff. So at this point, we don't accept new memberships because it would be no fun to join now because you couldn't get into any more shows at this point. The regular season is over. It's all postseason stuff. You know, why would you want to join in February? as a rider. So, um, our season will open for joining will open up again in May, usually right around the first May, somewhere between May 1st and 15th, all the new forms will be posted online. 
and um, membership season goes until November 1st. So you can join all the way up until November 1st and get involved. You have to be part of a team to be a member of IEA. Um, and all the information is on our website, but we also have so many people in place to help. There is, you know, a fair amount of, of, you know, new rules to learn and documents to fill out and all that, you know, filling out the paperwork to get involved can be, you know, can look like a whole lot to do to get started. So we have just great people in place. Our membership office, um, which is based in Massachusetts, but um, their phone numbers on, on our website again, where if you just need help talking through, you know, what is this IEA thing or where do I find the form or what, how do I fill this out? Any of that, we have people that, that are so eager to help and so nice. And they, you know, if you like doing it by email or by phone or whatever, they're always available there. And, and you know, I can attest to this zone. because I have actually made use of the website and the documents and all the services. And for someone who is short of attention and on time, uh, I was able to navigate my way through that, get what I needed. It was, it's wonderful for self-service. And, um, to, um Thanks. we gotta, <laughs> we gotta wrap this up. I could actually sit here and talk to you for hours. Um, <laughs> so we're going to send everybody to rideiea.org. I know that there are some yeah. hashtags as well. If you're on other social media channels, we will make sure to link you over from stablescoop.com to the IEA website and all the things that they have to offer. Roxanne, thank you very much for joining us today and being so enthusiastic and energetic about this program. You've got a couple of fans here, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more coming out of your group. Great. Thank you so much. It was really nice talking with you today. Hello, folks. Uncle Jimmy here, and welcome to the world of Uncle Jimmy brand products, where funny names mean serious products. Featuring... Uncle Jimmy Squeezy Buns, the squeezably soft hand treat that your horse will love. The award-winning Uncle Jimmy's Hangin' Balls. Uncle Jimmy's Sugar-Free Ball. The incredible Licky Thing, also in sugar-free. The amazing Uncle Jimmy's Pecker Wrecker and the Big Licky. The infamous Uncle Jimmy Hangin' Ball was first designed by me for my own horses to help reduce the bad habits which come from stall boredom. It now can be found around the world. This nutritious flavored filled boredom buster will help keep your horses occupied and happy around the clock. Properly hung, it will last for weeks, provided you don't let your horse pin it, and Uncle Jimmy knows who you are. The ball comes in four flavors, apple, carrot, peppermint, molasses, and now sugar-free. Once again, welcome to the world of Uncle Jimmy's brand products, where funny names mean serious products, and satisfaction is 100% guaranteed. Up next, my favorite part of the Stable Scoop show. I know I'm not supposed to have a favorite part. It's like having a favorite kid, but I do. (laughs) It is the Tack and Habits segment sponsored by Horselovers.com. And this week, I'm going to be reviewing the Ovation Blizzard Paddock Boot. The Ovation Blizzard Paddock Boot. So I'm a cheapo. I'm just going to say it right out. I'm a cheapo. I, I hate to spend a lot of money on equestrian gear because I beat the dew out of my stuff. And usually within a year's time, I have to buy new stuff. So I've sort of resigned myself to, okay, I'm not going to spend a lot of money on something. I'm just going to 
get an affordable, in this case, pair of winter paddock boots to get the job done, and they'll last as long as they last. So uh, I went looking for something that was economy priced, and I found the Ovation Blizzard paddock boot, which, according to the online reviews, uh, everyone said that they were really warm. I was like, awesome. That's what I want. I want something to put on my feet while I'm hacking around town to keep my toes warm. And I was also thinking about Grace, who's riding regularly throughout the winter, even though she's in an indoor. Oh, it's you know, even our, colder in the indoor. I'm sorry. It Because the sun doesn't get in there. <laughs> yeah, it's even colder. It might be dry and have safe footing, but it's cold. It's really, Correct. really cold. So here's what I went looking for. I went looking for a paddock boot that was warm, affordably priced, that was narrow enough to fit in your stirrups, but also serve as a barn boot. Because, you know, sometimes you get those barn boots that you, you, you can muck stalls in them, but their footbed is so wide. Right. You really, right. you don't have a lot of wiggle room in your irons. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. You so, want a dual purpose. You wanted a, a multi-purpose boot. Exactly. Because, first of all, for me, I need the, the multi-purpose. And for Grace, my kid, she, you know, when she helps out at the barn, they don't think, oh, let me switch my boots, take my good ones off and put my junky ones on. Yeah. They. We're lucky. I'm lucky she wears a jacket in the winter time. <laughs> so I thought, okay, let's find a fairly narrow footbed, something that can serve as a muck boot. So it, it needs to have a synthetic poly durable outer, right? Like yep. leather paddock boots is they're fine. There, there's a lot of maintenance if, there though. If you're going to wear them in the winter, you got to be cleaning and conditioning and waterproofing a lot. There's a lot of maintenance and who wants to deal with that? Exactly. And they do invariably suffer. They, they, they do break apart at some point. So even the expensive ones, because some, somehow the expensive ones, I just, I, they're not meant to be, you know, covered in horse pee and poop. <laughs> so I ordered the Ovation Blizzard paddock boot. They retail for about $35. Okay. That meets first criteria. Affordable. They have the thick rubber outer. So they're pee-proof. That's they have good traction. They have good traction on the bottom. Again, not, which is also awesome for mucking, especially in the wintertime when you're walking up your frozen muck pile, frozen and snowy muck pile. And they're, they're easy in and easy out. because So these things close with a Velcro tab uh, to the outside of the boot. The no ankle. laces. That's a good idea. No laces, no zip, just a Velcro tab. Um. They have this, you know, this puffy sort of, remember those jackets when you, your parka, you had a parka when yep. you were a kid yep. and it had like an inner layer that you could zip out mm-hmm. and then the parka just became a shell. Well, these have sort of an insert, a, a squishy oh. thinsulate insert that can go in and out of the boot. Oh, well, that sounds like a good idea. It's a good idea because it keeps your feet warm, but it's a bad idea because every time you take your foot out of the paddock boot, the insert comes the with insert it. The insert comes along. Oh, no. <laughs> there needs to be something sticky in there to hold them in. <laughs> exactly. And so you're like, oh, man, but whatever. It's it's better than taking your foot out of your boot and your sock coming off, which yeah. I hate. That's a major peeve. Yeah. So and then getting your foot into them is a little bit tricky. It's not like it's not like putting your foot into um, a muck brand boot, you know, where you can just point your toes down and slip mm-hmm. your foot in. Mm-hmm. It's not that easy, but. Um, it's easy enough. Yeah, I would think because the upper and the, I don't know what you call the different parts of shoes, but the foot part of it that's shaped like a shoe, 
is rubber and it's all one piece that makes it completely waterproof. And then just below your ankle is where the puffy parka part starts. That's going to be a very, very squishy, soft texture. So diving your foot in like you would in a 100% rubber boot, it, it's not going to work because you have two completely different textures there. And when you get to the, the place where those two different textures come together, you're going to have a right. squishy spot. So you're going to have to use your fingers on there. to Yeah, they're definitely not a slidey on, slidey off. No. They're not a slide down, but but they do offer a little finger tab at the back the of the tab. ankle. Good. So yeah. you can hold up. So, yeah, so the, the ankle part is squishy, is soft, and then the, the footbed is, is hard, is firm. So and You know, a hoof pick fits in that hole, too. But just a hoof pick. <laughs> not that you've ever tried that before. I've never tried that. So I like that they fit in your stirrups. They keep your feet warm. They're pee-proof. Um, they're light, actually. They're not really? heavy or clunky. Really? I, I look at the picture and I thought, oh, they're going to be heavy, but they're, they're, they're lighter than you would think looking at them. That's nice to know. They're not as light as a regular paddock boot, but they are not as heavy as some of the other winter boots that have been out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we've, when you see a winter riding boot of any kind, um, I just run away from them screaming now because I'm like, oh my God, you might as well wrap me up like a mummy and Princess put me in the, the sack. Princess in the pee. Yep. So um, here's what I didn't like about them. First of all, the sizing is off. And some people will say they're true to size. I will tell you that's a bunch of malarkey. Um, <laughs> yeah. I actually had to order two sizes down. Really? To fit my foot. Yeah. I wear a size, a woman's size seven and a half. And I'm true across many different brands, especially equestrian brands. Fairly, it's a fairly true, you know, size for my foot. And um, I ordered the 38 in these, which is the European size. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wear in dance goes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this was way too big for me. I ordered another size down, the 37 or the 36, I can't remember. The next size down, that was also at least a half a size too big for me. Interesting. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I took the pair that I first bought, I gave to somebody whose daughter was a size 8. And they were too big for her. So you, you kind of need to, if you see these in a tax store, definitely try them on, but yeah. be cautious when you order online, definitely start with at least one size down. Yeah. And, and, and most reputable, um, tax places, they or online stores have easy returns now, especially on things with, with, with sizes. It's pretty straightforward I, and make sure you check that before you order. Check what their return here's policy the, is. Yeah. Check, definitely check the return policy. And some of it, you know, they send you the, um, like, I, I'm going to say it. I ordered from State Line Tech, which was a bad idea. Horse Lovers did not have these in my size, which is the only reason I didn't order from them. I was desperate. I needed something. <laughs> I got them from State Line. Read their, their, I'm not happy with their return policy. This is just another reason to shop with Horse Lovers. <laughs> um and so, and, and, and now I have, a, I literally have a pair of, a, of Ovation Paddock boots that are two sizes too big. They're sitting in my house because their return policy was such a pain in the who, I never got around to doing it. Okay. Yeah. So the sizing was an issue. And then the only other thing that I did not like about these is the soft ankle part. While it's soft and comfortable, it does not provide the kind of support you want on your ankles when you're in the saddle. I can see that when I look at them in the picture, I can see that the material it's made of really does look like a parka. It's soft and squishy, so you don't end up with ankle rubs. But on the yep. other hand, you're not going to have that support 
that you have come to depend on if you wear paddock boots when you ride. Absolutely. I can see that. Right. So here's what we do. We, so I tried to pull the Velcro really tight, you know, yep. like almost like you're tightening up a pair of ice skates. Like you do um, with little children's diapers. You go, and then you exactly. put a little sticky tab on there. Yeah. Exactly. That doesn't work with this. These are just not designed to be tight around your ankle. But if you wear them with half chaps. Oh. So now your half chaps have to have some kind of stretch in them though. Mm-hmm. I have remember, two pairs. One for winter, one for summer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's what Grace has a winter pair yep. and she's been wearing these religiously and rides in them and loves them, but she has to have these particular half chaps on when she yep. uses them. So she gets the ankle support that she needs. Yep. I do the same thing whenever I wear regular jeans when I ride, of course there's cuffs and all that extra material around my ankles to deal with. I have yeah. my older pair of half chaps that are kind of stretched out from doing that. Yeah. And they are only worn when I have something like jeans on or if I was to wear a pair of shoes like this. And that's a brilliant idea to wear your half chaps. But not everybody can afford to have two pairs. But if you wear jeans all the time, it won't make a difference because they're already stretched out. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. Brilliant. Or or if you have the kind of half chaps that have the stretchy panel. Right. In the back. Or the Velcro ones that don't have a stretchy panel. Right. Where yeah. you can adjust the you fit of those. adjust it where exactly. you want to. Very good. So. If you have a pair of those, then I would highly recommend them. And honestly, for $35, even if you just wear them as winter barn boots, Good deal. Um, yeah, they're they're not too bad. But I, I really don't like the wishy-washy ankle thing even. So. <laughs> Princess, <laughs> Princess in the, the pee. Princess in the pee. That is a great idea. If you, have a, if you need a pair of winter boots to mostly do chores and occasionally get on a horse, this is a great right. economical option. Right. Especially if you're trail riding in the, in right. the Northeast, it's, it's or, super easy. Yeah. yeah. Ver- versus someone who needs winter boots to mostly ride in and do an occasional chore, maybe a different option. Correct. Yeah. There you go. Correct. Well, on horselovers.com, I'm sure they'll have your size when you go to order it. Um, <laughs> horselovers.com, just, just search for Ovation Blizzard <laughs> Paddock and they're right there. Yes. They have a tall boot version as well, but we're looking at the paddock boot, paddock version. And that's a wrap for this week's Tack and Habit. And I think, Miss Jen, that we're done with another episode. Another one in the can. Another one in the can. For details about today's show, including information about our guest and the IEA program, go to stablescoop.com. We'll provide links so that you can get more information. And I, you probably know this, but if you don't, I'm going to tell you again. Get the HRN app. It's on, it's, it works on iOS or Androids. It's free and you can find it in the app store. Just search for horse radio network. It just, you'll never have to worry about getting another show. You won't fall behind. There we go. And if I, if my, if I may interject, please, if you're listening to this program right now on somebody else's device or on your computer and you don't know what iOS or Android is, if you have a smart telephone that does text messages and makes pictures, you can use it. Have someone help you find your app store. Have someone. Yeah, it's worth it. Yes. Because it'll just make your life easier. Yeah. And you get to listen to us. And you'll and you'll look so techie smart to your horse friends. <laughs> Be sure to log on next Friday for another episode of Stable Scoop. Yes, we try to do this every week. And we do love your feedback. I especially love your feedback. So join us on Facebook, follow our tweets, or even better, become a Horse Radio Network auditor and get the real inside scoop. Mm -hmm. 
And if you want to uh, send me a message, uh, if you love what we're talking about, if you hate what we're, what we're talking about, you can reach me at Helena at horseradionetwork.com. Many thanks to this week's sponsors, Uncle Jimmy's brand products mm-hmm. and the Fairfield in North in Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, um, let's see. Usually I have Glenn helping me out with this. Are we all <laughs> <Be> done, sure. <laughs> Helena? <laughs> Jennifer's like, let's wrap this up, please. <laughs> I just got some jumps that just showed up by the FedEx truck. I want to go play. Oh, man. Okay, stay tuned, yes, stay tuned to next week's show for more on that. We, we, yeah, will you come back, Jen? I want to I'll hear about back. the jumps. Okay, good. All right. Well, that is it for this week's show, but we will be back next week with more. Thanks, everyone, for following along. Until next week, happy scooping. Mm-hmm.